Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. We're back for another episode focusing entirely on the Women's World Cup in New Zealand. I'm Jess Hayden, a rugby journalist at The Times. And once again, I'm joined by former World Cup winner, Rachel Bareford. Rachel, hello. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. Good to see you. Lovely to see you as well. Obviously, you are still in New Zealand. How's it been this week? Yeah, it's been really good. So I went... uh, back up to Auckland for the first part of this week and then came back down to Whangarei ahead of the weekend's games up here so yeah it's been it's been great. Last week we were talking about the teams that were keeping you awake because they were in your hotel and they were running around and playing cricket and watching films and just generally keeping you awake and giving you FOMO fear of missing out. Is anyone in your hotel this week? Yes, well, I don't think we should claim it's my hotel. I think I'm the one who's <laughs> gate crashing all the teams. But um, I actually have a Fijiana here, which is awesome because I've not had a chance to to meet too many of them. But all I can hear is constant giggles. Um, I have no no idea what about, but yeah, it, it's just nice to hear kind of the enjoyment that teams are having whilst all business on the pitch, they're enjoying themselves off it as well. That's lovely to hear. And when are you heading back to Auckland? So I'm going to head back to Auckland on Saturday um, ahead of England versus South Africa um, down there. So, yeah, a bit of a a road trip a couple of times this week, getting all familiar with the the single road that brings you all the way to uh, Whangarei. Um, But, yeah, looking forward to both game days this weekend. You're being kept busy for sure. And coming up on today's show, we're going to chat to Robbie, who is better known as Squidge Rugby. Robbie has one of the largest rugby YouTube channels in the world. I think it's only World Rugby that have more subscribers than him. Robbie's going to give us the lowdown on the tactics that Wales are using so far at this World Cup and basically explaining why they've been effective and in some cases why they've been ineffective. 
Myself and Rachel are also going to discuss why this World Cup is so much closer than previous editions and Rachel will be able to give some very good insight as someone who's played in many World Cups. And we'll look ahead to the final round of group stage matches. It's all starting to get very exciting and we're going to look at what the quarterfinal seedings are and, and who's going to play who, what might change in the third round and everything like that. It's all kind of shaping up very nicely. But before that, Rachel, let's look back on last weekend's results. And if we start with Scotland versus Australia that was a dramatic match wasn't it there's so much seemed to happen Scotland led 12-0 at half time they lost by two tries to none in the second half and they had two red cards in the final minutes of the game what was your reaction to that match I you know that first half was really impressive from Scotland they had a really slow start against Wales and you know fought to the death to to try and claw back a win, um, which they they sadly weren't able to do. So they really made um, the rights of those wrongs this weekend in that first half was really, it seemed as though everybody was really on the same page. The clarity amongst the team was excellent. The execution, they entered the 22, they came away with points. Um, But you just started to feel that that started to slip away in that opening um, first, um, second half, sorry. Um, and it just felt like they couldn't maintain that pressure. Um, and fair play to Australia, you know, losing players, critical positions, um, and just managed to find a way against them. And, you know, heartbreak for Scotland, but that final try from from um, Australia was, I mean, both their tries that they took were outstanding. And these games are coming down to fine margins, mm. you know, executing the the um, conversion kicks you know things like that that are really matter that really matter in this tournament um so yeah like gutted for Scotland because the way that they started that you felt okay you know it would have been a tight test however you thought that by the way that they started that they would have closed that game out um but it seems to be you know a similar story for Scotland that Mm. they can't maintain that pressure they can't maintain that composure um, and in the end, it comes down to such fine margin margins. Yeah, we should say this is Scotland's second losing bonus point. The first one, of course, against Wales. That means the the gap between Scotland and their competitors is so tight. As a player, Rachel, when you are, are ahead and you lose that the momentum and you, your points are being scored against you, do heads go down? Do you think that's the cause of Scotland's? disappointing final 20 should we say yeah I think you know subconsciously um it can make you go within yourself and then play a bit safe or go off course um and I you know I think that does have a part to play and it's almost when the momentum goes against them they really struggle to then be able to turn that on its head and find a way to change the way that the game is beginning to start to to play out um and I think, you know, the are lessons that Scotland keep learning, but doesn't seem to be, you know, being applied into matches um, the next time that they play. And, and, you know, that's been their downfall for a number of games now where they're ahead. They, you know, have lots of pressure on the opposition, but then it slips away and it slips away and it slips away. And what that team needs is someone to recognise it slipping and be able to turn that momentum on its head. Um, and that's just that those kind of top two inches that are just lacking for that side at the moment. 
And Australia, they lost two hookers. The the hooker that started the match, Adiana Telakai, who was yellow carded. Ashley Masters came on um, because she could play hooker. She stayed on the field when Telakai returned. And they both got red cards in the dying minutes of the match, which means, of course, they'll, they'll miss future games of this tournament. Two hookers is quite a lot to, to lose in, in one tournament. Do you think that will hurt Australia's chances again against Wales this weekend and then potentially into the quarterfinals? Yeah, I think, you know, losing Masters is really big. Obviously, her ban is is lengthy and will go until the finals. Um, however, the other players, that was revoked. So she's free to play and available, which is really critical, you know, key position for set piece, but also just around around the park as well. She's a really, like, in, um, exciting, rangy, loose forward. And they're going to need that this weekend. So... I think Australia will be disappointed of the discipline that, you know, got them into that position. Having said that, I think, you know, moving forward, they've regrouped and they've still got plenty of talent in their side to step in. Let's turn our attention now to USA 30, Japan 17. Did you watch the match? Were you excited by the the way Japan seemed to to come out of it? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it was was almost too, too little too late for Japan. The way that they were playing was exceptional at times, but it's just being able to put, you know, a complete performance together and not patches because we know how many threats USA have. And if they get opportunities or if they get errors, they're going to capitalize on them. And, you know, that, that was probably the downfall for Japan, but really good competitive spirit, good fight to come back, but just left it a little bit too late. We'll chat about the biggest match of the weekend, in my opinion, which was England versus France in a bit. Before that, we'll just chat quickly about the Wales-New Zealand match. New Zealand won 56-12. This was a phenomenal performance from New Zealand. Portia Woodman scored twice, as did Sylvia Brunt. Dodder Rose has been handed a two-match ban. How costly do you think that will be considering that Alicia Butchers has also had to leave the camp. She's um, head back to Wales for some investigation into a knee injury. So that's two big carriers gone and players that have a big impact in the Welsh squad. So how much of an impact do you think that will have? Yeah, no doubt it will have, it will have some impact on the team, but, you know, I think they're they're well equipped in, in the front row area I think probably Donna Rose was is a little bit more mobile um and probably s- delivers on number of ball carries which then offloads onto other people so the work rate of other people are going to have to step up but I think you know Wales do have um a strong pack and also a strong backup pack um but yeah we're seeing what you know ill discipline can do to individuals and what it's going to do to the team moving forward but hopefully mm. you know it won't impact the the squad too much now we'll head to pool C and in pool C there were t- two very big matches one very exciting one Fiji versus South Africa 21 to Fiji 17 South Africa and then of course there was England versus France England just managed to get ahead it was 13-7 Fiji, South Africa, was that the more exciting game for you, Rachel? Yeah, it, it was. I think, to be honest, they're probably both on a par, but the way that that Fiji, South Africa game, I mean, if you blinked, the score changed. So you literally couldn't take your eyes off it. And I think it was just such a wonderful display of a real competitive match and players going toe-to-toe for 80 minutes. Um, and the 
the fashion in that get the way that that game finished finished sorry Fiji had opportunity to score and win it and mm. then suddenly ill-discipline turns over then all of a sudden South Africa had the chance to win it and then straight away turn up like all in in the space of three or four minutes and you know that really grips audiences it yeah. really brings to life the the way that these two teams play and I thought it was you know such a great spectacle um such a a great game for for both of those sides to to really highlight what they're capable of and then in the England versus France match it was much more attritional rugby wasn't it it was just carrying for meters went through so many phases I think England were held to 14 phases twice on their own on the try line and it was a tough match France made 237 tackles compared to England's 79 England had 67% possession and had 13 in- entries into the 22 and came away with 13 points in total what are your thoughts about that match? Because, I mean, there was a costly knock-on for Emily Scarrett in front of the try line. Could the the score could have been higher. Are you happy with how England performed? I think naturally there's things that England will would have wanted to execute better. You know, the Emily Scarrett drop ball, that's another try. Being held up over the line, you know, we rarely see England... Um, that happened to an England side. They're very well aware about what they need to do around that that try line area, not get held up, come pull back out of it. But you have to give credit to France, the mm. way that they defended their work rate, and you know to lose Sansus and Menager, two incredibly um, critical players for them and for their side to race to that intensity without their two key players was phenomenal. But England didn't back down and they took an opportunity when it arose in terms of Emily Scarrett's try. Emily, when she was captain at the time on the pitch, knew to extend that lead by three points. Really good Mm. decision when you think about the end result. But having said all that, you 100% would expect more points on the board when you have that amount of possession, that amount of entries. They would be disappointed that they didn't score more but having said that, you know, they were up against an incredible defensive set. And it was a test that England really needed. They really needed to be tested in um, the pool phases. Everybody knew that this was going to be a huge game for them. Um, but in the same time, they learned a lot of lessons. And you'd rather know that now than in a quarterfinal or a semi final mm. when pressure is very different and different things happen to different players in those kind of knockout stages and pressure situations, but they weathered the storm. They managed to win the game. It was a huge physical test. Um, You know, Simon Middleton used the majority of his bench as well. So again, giving them exposure. So look, it's a big tick. They won the game. It wasn't their best performance, but they still won. And when you're in a world cup, it's all about building momentum, winning games, learning from it, improving, improving. So, you know, wasn't their best performance did they miss a lot of opportunities yes but they still came out on top and that was due to kind of being calm composed especially in those final moments when you know after the French try which was a wonderful try the crossfield kick and for Hermet to, to score in the corner suddenly there's a different pressure valve on the squad and but they stayed calm they stuck to their processes and they found a way to win, and they won that game. There's been a lot of talk about this match potentially being a 
test run for the final as England France could meet again in the final in 2014 you met Canada in the pool stages and then you met them in the final does it give you a chance to to learn about the team and how they're playing at this tournament and then does it you know do you prepare better then for the final um I think you know you obviously I mean they know each other so well mm. the amount of times that they've played against one another and you know the pool stages is one thing and knockout rugby is is a different different ball game um having been in the England camp when you when you're in that position you know all eyes will be on this game this weekend who have they faced the following weekend and you know, both teams will be able to analyse one another really well, but both teams would have not showed all of their cards. So there'll be things that England have up their sleeve and there'll be things that France will have up their sleeve. You can't just have one way of how you want to play a game. We found out against New Zealand in 2017 that we only prepared for one thing. Mm. And if you do that, then you're going to set yourself up to fail, whether you're you know, um, preparing yourself for one thing in terms of how you're going to play. And if you're preparing only one way of the opposition are going to play, then you're going to set yourself up to fail. You've got to be prepared, um, you know, across different uh, variations of what could come out. You can't use what happened in this pool stage. Yep, you'll take confidence that you've got the win, etc. However, you know, on the flip side, you know, France will be thinking, well, they had all the ball. If we can get some more ball, we'll be able to score some more points and then we're in for a game. So you're going to have to prepare for for the way that they have played, but also for some of the unknown as well. Well, France have built their game a lot around the nine. And of course, that's Laura Sanzus. And as you mentioned, she was injured in the match and unfortunately has retired. She was due to retire at the end of this tournament, but has retired early because of this injury. And also Roman Menager left the pitch as well with a head injury. Two big losses for France, but particularly, I think, Sanzus, to me, she's the player of of France she's the best player they build the game around her player of the tournament the Six Nations just how big a blow do you think that will be for France as they go into the knockout stages of the tournament yeah look, I think it's I think it's massive I think she probably would have won player of the 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 year if she had managed to get through all of the the tournament it, it's such a devastating position for her this mm. was going to be her last rodeo to go out so early and, you know, she was in great form when they played against South Africa. So we knew that we were going to get the brilliance of Sansus. Um, and, I, you know, she's a huge talisman for that side. She unlocks the brilliant attacking play that France have. And that because she's such a multiple, multiple threat in terms of her sniping, her, the way that she can move the ball, her ability to see space where others don't see it, and also, like, her kicking threat. So... She's somebody that where you can't take your eyes off her, which means if you're keeping your eyes on her, she opens up space for other people. So I think it's a big loss. However, you know, Bourdon, she came on and played really well, I think. Um, she slotted in there, which was a really challenging and difficult position for her to be in, like personally and professionally. Um, and I thought she did excellently when she did come on. And, you know, she's been a match winner for France before. So, yes, Sanseuse is a massive loss. Does it mean France can't go on and win knockout stages and, and even, you know, progress in the final um, to win it? You know, I think I think they have the ability to, 
but it's whether they had the execution on the day is, is the difference. We should give context something you just said really interestingly there about um, Pauline Bourdon and why it was personally difficult for her. And that's because her and Law Sansus are engaged to be married. So it's very difficult for them competing for the shirt in France for the national team, but then also behind closed doors, they're an engaged, very happy couple, soon to be married. Seeing your partner, it was interesting with both injuries actually with France because for... Law Sanzu's been injured. Pauline Bourdon has to come on the pitch, knowing that her partner is in pain and is very hurt. The retire is going to retire. She probably knew as soon as she saw that Sanzu's was down, knee injury. She's not going to be playing the rest of the tournament. Really sad. And then with Roman Menager as well, her twin sister Marine was watching the match from the bench and had to then come on and play. And I, I spoke to Bryony Cleo after the match. And she said that it's happened with her and Poppy before, where she's had to watch Poppy be injured, then play again, play like go go on go off the bench and play, and it's really tough. So for both of those injuries for France, it must have had a knock-on effect for the team because at least two players are personally affected by it, and that must be such a tough position to be in. But we'll park that for now because we are going to chat to Robbie from Squid Rugby, one of the largest rugby YouTube channels in the world, to get his take on the tactics that are helping Wales at this World Cup. And we're delighted to be joined by rugby YouTube royalty, Robbie from Squid. Hi, Robbie. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you doing? Good, thank you. It's great to have you on. For those who don't know, Squidge Rugby is the second largest rugby channel on YouTube, just behind World Rugby. And Robbie has over 200,000 subscribers. And we were just trying to work out in rugby terms what that is. And it's probably now over three times Twickenham. So a pretty impressive audience, Robbie. It's it's enough that you'd have a full bench if it was a club, you know. Like if if you turned up for your local team, you'd you'd have a bench to put out. Yeah, you'd have no problem. You'd have no problem getting a team out of that. We're really second grateful team, for your team. second team, third team. Yeah, probably a probably a hundred and whatever. I don't even want to do the maths now. To show you how bad I'm at maths. That's but... the team I would be in though if we did it. I would be in the hundred third <laughs> team or whatever. I'd be there too. I'd be the water carrier for that team. <laughs> oh, it's so great to have you on. And you are a Wales fan. And it'd be great, really, just to get your insight. You, as a, I mean, I was watching your England versus France review video this morning. I watched it last night as well. It was so good. Looking at how <laughs> the how France focus their defence on England's mall and the the driving mall and how they managed to counteract it. It was so interesting defensively looking at how France were. If we mm. consider Wales, what were your thoughts on that match against New Zealand? Um, I mean, my initial reaction were quite impressive. I think because I stupidly went in with some optimism that we might Wales might push them a bit harder. Mm. Um, and when I look back on it a second time, actually they did push it quite hard, but they made errors at key points and I think the nature of when the tries came in that they weren't spread out mm. they came one after another and it was big moments of momentum where you <laughs> a few times it felt like sevens where you wanted to switch so the kickoff was taken by the by the team that had just scored so that you know Wales would get some of the ball because it felt like New Zealand were taking the ball scoring instantly just making a meter after meter in the middle of the yeah. pitch and then suddenly getting it back and then doing exactly the same um, and I think we were seeing all the tries that Wales conceded were quite similar, but they're very difficult to stop. It's quite easy if you concede a lot of more tries to go, OK, we know what we need to focus on. But when you're conceding try after try after try, 
from lots of quick phases in the middle of the field in their own half, making up the ground and then space opens up. It's, it's all system stuff and it's all stuff that takes, you've kind of got to take apart in order to put back together. Um, and that's, I suppose, the concern for Wales is they know what the issue is, but there's no way to fix it in a week. Yeah, that's an absolutely fair point. Portia Woodman scored twice, as did Sylvia Brunt. Um, do you think that Wales will str- have struggled without Alicia Butchers? We know she's one of Wales's best players, if not the best, some would say. How much do you think Wales felt her not being there? Yeah, I think you could you could see it. Um, I think it's nothing. Bethan Lewis, who is excellent and made lots of tackles, but she didn't slow the ball in the way we sometimes see Alicia Butchers do, as well as yeah. being able to make big carries. Um, but they're, they're just they're different players, and Bethan Lewis is almost closer to the Alex Callender type. Mm. Um, so we saw her coming in, and then obviously Gwen Crabb moved in six. Um, and that felt very much like Wales were focusing on what their strengths were, and that they knew it would be set piece. So they kind of really went hard on that. They had Lily Crab to help with the scrum in the second row, and then, you know, Gwen Crab, top lineup taker in the whole Six Nations this year. Um, and it did help with that set piece on the whole, just you then left in a situation where actually they were missing something a bit around the park, I think. And as I say, New Zealand were generating almost endless quick ball across the entire game. Uh, that became a bit of the issue, bit of an issue. I'm also just the biggest fan of Alicia Butchers, and it's just it's there's something slightly sad about seeing Jazz on their own without her. I just love seeing them play together. Yeah, we should say for context as well. Um, Alicia Butchers and Jazz Joyce are also engaged. We were talking about um, Pauline Bourdon and Law Sanseus mm. as well. Them being engaged, but yeah, Alicia and Jazz are also an engaged couple. Lots of couples at this World Cup. Can I bring us back to the rugby? So just <laughs> add the point around um, Alicia Butchers. I think a key area as well is the breakdown and the amount of turnovers that she can generate for her team, and and the fact that Wales had zero turnover steals from the breakdown in comparison oh. to, to New Zealand having six, it is a big loss. And But Squidge, what do you think about their attacking play then? So when they do have the ball, what what positive signs did you see that they can take into this weekend? Yeah, I thought there were lots of positive signs of things that are about to click against Scotland and things that occasionally click but weren't quite finished. And then a lot of them didn't carry over to that New Zealand game. Um, and I haven't looked closely enough at it to see if it's, they were doing things differently, um, but they shifted the way they attacked for that Scotland game. They kind of held back and not played during the, um, the warm-ups or during the Six Nations. And so they were clearly almost playing those warm-ups with like one hand behind their back and order to not give anything away ahead of the, the Scotland game. Uh, whereas this New Zealand game, things then just didn't click. Mm. Um, and obviously, I think they knew their strengths were tighter, but um, we weren't really seeing much of the, the wider play, um, which I think could be... It could again be that they want to hide things back for Australia or they knew their strengths were forward-based, but I don't think there was a great deal in general attack that looked particularly exciting other than the one or two times in the last kind of 20 minutes the ball got into Jazz Joyce's hands. Um, I was going to say, you just want the ball in Jazz's hands, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. She didn't touch the ball for the first hour, which was ridiculous. Like The entire first half didn't get the ball in her hands once. Um, and we didn't see... You know, Meg Webb ran some lovely lines in that first game and was picking them off and, you know, made those two clean breaks in the first half. And she didn't get that kind of opportunity. We saw a couple of times of trying to run it but being caught very quickly. Uh, and part of that's just the New Zealand defence being very spread out and organised in a way the Scottish defence is kind of set up to to contain you and to wait, whereas the Kiwi defence is far happier to, like, to eat up, you know, to let you 
um, take a metre or two if it means you're not making a clean break, where Scotland's far more like pressing and making sure you're not you know, going too far. Um, so a bit of it might be that, but I quite like that um, Cash Morgan Williams has come in for this game. Yeah. Might be a useful thing to have a more like physical player in there. Um, and also, you know, defensively, I think she might be more sound because we saw a couple of question marks being raised over Meg Webb in that second half in particular. Let's look ahead then at this weekend. It's the final pool stage of this tournament. Australia versus Wales opens up the action on Saturday. Prediction for that, Robbie? Oh, um, I mean, it's a very good question. Um, I always want to go in with just blatant optimism. I think it's going to be close. Um, I think we've seen Australia have a really good 60 minutes in the first game and a really good last 20 minutes in the the second game. So the fear is that they'll put it all together. Mm. Um, But I also feel like Wales have got more than we showed. And I think they probably got... I think Cunningham went into the New Zealand game hoping for four points. hoping for four tries to get that losing bonus point or the try bonus point. Um, and obviously didn't come away with that, but I reckon probably that game didn't go a million miles away from what I was expecting. So hopefully there hasn't been too big a knock to confidence there. And it can be a narrow Wales win, but I hate saying it because I'm probably jinxing it already. That's brilliant. Robbie, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to watching your videos, dissecting whatever game you pick from the final round of the pool matches. And our listeners, you can find Robbie. If you search Squid Rugby, you'll be able to find him on YouTube. And his videos are excellent. And they really do dissect with video the detail of the of the game, really. And especially, Robbie's always had a really good understanding of the women's game and the differences from men so Robbie we're very grateful for your time thank you thank you thank you for having me that's lovely enjoyed it selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Rachel, as we look ahead to this weekend, one thing that seems very clear to me is that the World Cup is much closer than previous iterations of the tournament. And John Newcomb, who's a rugby journalist, tweeted this week that at this stage of Rugby World Cup 2017, the average winning margin was 44 points. But after two rounds of the Rugby World Cup 2021, it's just 21 points. He says it shows how much more competitive the women's game has become thanks to investment from World Rugby and the unions. You've played in the last four World Cups. This is your first, we don't want to keep reminding you, but this is the first one that you haven't <laughs> played in of the of the five um, tournaments. Does this one feel closer to you? Um, massively. I think, you know, you talk about and see how much more investment has gone into the teams, the amount of more tests that all the teams have been playing. You know, there's been such an emphasis from World Rugby to ensure that, the teams were ready to come to this World Cup to create those smaller margins. Um, You know, things around a lot of the players playing overseas in Europe, in France and England, the standard that that's uplifted the teams. Um, You know, players, how many contracts are available for players at the moment? Um, You know, there's at least um, six teams that have some form of full-time, part-time um, contracts and I just you just see all of that and the investment that goes into it now you're seeing the product and you're seeing the margins being closer yes there's a lot more work to do um, between the top and the bottom however you can see just with some small amounts of investment and infrastructure what it can do to the tournament and it, it poses such an excitement not already now while we're here but also 25 as well so that the game is in very good hands at the moment and is only on the way up. If we look specifically at the England versus France match, in the semi-final in 2017, England won that 23. The match to me this year felt like a very similar level of intensity and, it again, very attritional, the way it always is when England play France. Did it feel to you like a very similar game or what have we what's changed since then in the in the last 5 years? I think probably, you know, tactically it's very similar, but mm. I'd definitely say the intensity is greater. Um and I think it shows the level of physicality and levels of fitness that players have for an 80 minute game to to be going that strong and to be holding one another out for that long kind of shows that the the bar has been raised you know in 2017 it was very close initially and then we we pulled away and I think you know I, I reckon I could 
put the house on this that everybody probably thought, well, France can't defend like that for 80 minutes. They're going to drop off. And we didn't see that happen. So I think the intensity level has massively increased. But but along with that, the skill level, the the technical side of the game has definitely stepped up from, from 2017. With the Premier 15s, there's loads of international players playing there and in the French leagues as well. We've got um, more international players playing than ever before. But if we just focus on the Premier 15s for now, because it's it, for our listeners, it's the league they probably watch the most of. Do you think having the chance to see the Red Roses in action every week, play against them, play with them, watch them train, know what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, has helped bridge the gap in the international game between England, I guess, without, and then everyone else below them? Without a doubt. Like, the, the opportunity to be in those, you know, semi-professional daily training environments to come up against the opposition that you previously have only ever played against in an international match and Mm. with the success record that England has often being on the losing side and you know those fear factors the familiarity the the learning about those players you know all of that is definitely you know part of the reason why these teams are so successful and the amount of players that they have playing in the league you know is critical for the development of the game where we need to progress the game though is these domestic leagues being as competitive they are need to be all over the world not just in one or two countries um and that's not because England want to be protective it's because that's the right thing for the game in order for it to grow um, and be sustainable as well it's not sustainable players always just coming over to to one part of the world and strengthening the game so it without a doubt would will have such an impact on, on the individual teams and what's happening at this world cup Rob Kane, the United States head coach, made a really good point after England versus USA that he couldn't get his team together much because so many of them were playing in the Premier 15. So having the time together was quite rare because they had Premier 15's responsibilities, players like Kate Zachary, for example, the captain. They had to really train together in England because that's where so many of their players were. So it's really interesting to see that actually that these players are moving over. It's where they might get paid to play rugby. It's where they their lifestyles kind of. It's better to play rugby in England, isn't it? If we look ahead now to the quarterfinals, if the seeding stayed how they are now, that would mean a New Zealand versus Wales quarterfinal, a, a repeat of that match. Canada versus USA, England versus Australia, and France versus Italy. Out of those matches, which ones do you think you're looking forward to the most? Probably all of them. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think, I think Italy are on really good form, so that will be fascinating to see against against France. I think England versus Australia could be really interesting, um, and I. You know, I, I genuinely think that all of them are going to be really exciting. We haven't seen an upset yet. Um, there always is one at the World yep. Cup. Um, and, yeah, I'm just genuinely excited to see how these teams can progress. You know, you, Rob Kane spoke very openly about the fact that he reckons if they can get into a knockout spot, they could make a few surprises. You know, there's just so much fighting talk going on. And and this is what's so good about this year's World Cup is the fact that there are quarterfinals. There is another opportunity for these teams. Um, 
and the fact that we're going into this weekend with what we think might turn out to be the top eight next week, there's still opportunities for those things to change. So, yeah, genuinely very excited for a knockout stage and for all of those matchups. You know, New Zealand versus Wales, again, like a lot of people will look at that and think, well, New Zealand smashed them last weekend, so... But Wales be thinking, we take three or four more of those chances, suddenly New Zealand are under a lot of pressure on their home turf with an expectation to do much, um, to progress further than just the quarters. You know, then suddenly that's a different picture and that's a whole different ball game for all those players. So I'm, I'm genuinely excited about all of them. I think France, Italy is the upset that we're all waiting for. That's the game that I'm most Ooh. excited for. But, but if you think about it, that... Italy beat France 26-19 just in last month and France did beat them 21-0 the week before or something like that. But it's, I think Italy have been really impressive so far this tournament. I'd love to see the Italy and France match and I, I think that that could be the upset that we all hope for. And it would be brilliant, wouldn't it, I think, if France were, were knocked out. I think that would be a great um, <laughs> turn up for the books. One thing that's bothering me is we still don't know when and where the matches are. And this is a point that was made by Scrum Queens. We still don't know the where and when these matches will be played, but we do know the allocation of the men's quarterfinals at next year's World Cup. So you already know the seedings and where they're going to play and what time kickoffs are, etc. for the tournament that happens 12 months away, but we don't know the one that's happening in 10 days. How much of a problem is that? I mean, you're in New Zealand and I've heard that the travel between Auckland and Whangarei is, is quite difficult. There's not really public transport. If you're a travelling fan or even the families, even of the teams playing, how difficult do you think this makes it to plan your attendance at these matches? Yeah, obviously there there's difficulty, isn't there? You're not quite sure where your team might be playing. Um, but I feel like whoever's here they're literally following the rugby everywhere anyway so they're at game one on the on the Saturday and then all the way through to game six at a different venue at the weekend but I think it's something that will definitely be looked at moving forward because it's not ideal doesn't help with planning preparation for for everybody you know firstly the players and the teams you know they've got all the teams will have two different travel plans and two different training weeks depending on what um what draw they're going to hit. So so I think the teams are planned and prepared for both sides of those. But however, you know, moving forward, how do we get ourselves around this logistic um, mm. situation? Um, maybe understand why we are in that logistic situation um, and definitely make sure that, you know, moving forward that, that everybody is aware early on or, you know, if it can't be as early as <laughs> like the men's a year from now, but you know, at least at the start of the tournament, some some clarity around that would be really useful for, for everybody involved. We have a similar issue in the Six Nations that we know the men's fixtures, what stadiums are going to be at, kickoff times, etc., much more in advance than we know the women's fixtures. As the game grows and more fans are interested and more fans want to travel to watch matches, it surely just becomes even more important that we make sure that these... these logistics are sorted out well in advance and fans have time to prepare and plan their journeys of course and look I don't think 
the people who are making these decisions are trying to make life difficult for people that they want to come and watch these mm. games and um, broadcasters to take the right etc um but it's one of those things that's always evolving isn't it where as we progress within the game the performance of it the more competitions that are happening the different regional windows etc as all of this is growing like we are going to learn some lessons along the way and there are things that we do want to learn from the men's game and there's also things that we want to stay away from. So I think it's an evolving piece and I think lots of people are putting the right pressure on people and, you know, people are making a stand saying, you know, this isn't good enough. We need to make sure that moving forward, this is this is in place and we're aware of this. We know what the fixtures are, we know the timings, et cetera. Um, that, that definitely needs to be, you know, a priority moving forward um, for all involved because... Everybody that is part of women's rugby wants it to be a huge success. So mm. we want to make sure all of these finer details are, you know, continuously looked at and improved. And but what we don't want to do is get into a point where it's like, this is fixed, this is exactly how it is, and this is what's going to happen because things could change. You know, yeah. we used to have the Six Nations at a certain point we kind of rolled with that because that's what we thought was right and the norm. Well, actually let's put it in its own window. Let's have a look at that. And now, and so let's make sure that we're just a bit more adaptable as well as we go through the, the, the evolution of the game and, and of women's rugby. You made a really good point there. It's finer details now. And we're, we're now complaining about the small parts of the game where we used to have much bigger issues. So it's not something to complain too much about, but I think it would be great in the future if it could be a bit clearer. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's been great to see you again. Hope you get some sleep in the Fijianas, not keeping you up too much by giggling um so yeah thank you and safest of journeys up to auckland we'll catch up with you next thursday awesome looking forward to it so this weekend is the final pool stage and on saturday we have australia versus wales at 2 15 a.m uk time new zealand versus scotland at 4 45 a.m and france versus fiji at 7 15 a.m on Sunday, we've got Japan versus Italy at quarter to 1am, so maybe one to stay up late and watch. Canada versus USA at 3.15am and finally, England versus South Africa at 5.45am. All these matches will be available on ITV. And that's all for this week. This has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. We'll be back on Monday with your usual roundup of everything that happens over the weekend in the Gallagher Premiership. And I'll be back next Thursday for another podcast focused on the Women's World Cup. In the meantime, if you check out the Sportswoman of the Year Awards, the nominations are up, the shortlist is available to read and you can vote for your winner. That's if you just Google Sportsman of the Year Awards, you'll be able to find it there. Have a read. There are some amazing stories, not just from the elite sports, but also from the grassroots, which is sponsored by This Girl Can. Until then, follow or subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts from. And thank you very much for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. 
Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.